rustling around. You remember Jacob when he went out into the wilderness? And just before he was to meet his brother Esau, and uh, he had to wrestle. Do you remember who he wrestled with? Yeah, he actually wrestled with the Lord. How long? All night. Well, I got him beat. I've been wrestling since Thanksgiving. And um, sometimes you wonder, Lord, are you sure you want me to preach this or you want me to back off? I want to do your will. But uh, he keeps telling me, you got to preach this. So we're going to have our wilderness experience today, like Jacob. I've uh, been going through it, but I need, I need help, so let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, <clears throat> I need the strength of the Spirit to be able to touch my lips. Can't do it on my own. The human nature in me just wants to go in the opposite direction. But I don't want to do my human nature. I want to do your will. So bless me now is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Wilderness experience. You know, we all ought to have a wilderness experience at times. A time when we go out and we begin to sometimes wrestle with God, sometimes to listen to Him, to experience Him, sometimes to make changes within our life. We're going to briefly look at a very familiar story that uh, happened just immediately after Jesus was baptized. Let's look how Luke describes it in Luke 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we need, isn't it? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to keep that in mind because it's going to be very important later on. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. That's where he was baptized. And was led by the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness. This leading of Jesus after his baptism into the wilderness, out into the secluded places, was a divine plan. It just wasn't by accident. The Spirit from heaven, the Holy Spirit, was guiding Jesus. It wasn't an accident at all. We need to be led by the Spirit. And sometimes the Spirit leads us into places that we are saying, why am I going here? Is this really important to my life? And the answer is yes. When the Spirit leads you, it is important to your life. And so he was led out into this wilderness, way out in the boonies, to be able to have a communion with God. Now you would think, oh, come on, he just came from heaven. You would think that he would have this established a communion with God already. Well, the reason was for this spiritual communion with His Heavenly Father was to be able to lay out His plan for what's to take place in the future. What do you do while you're in a wilderness? Well, Luke gives us a clue of what Jesus did that became a pattern within Jesus' life in Luke 5, verse 16. He, speaking of Jesus himself, often withdrew into the wilderness for what? To pray. Sometimes 
the things around us distract us so much that it's hard for us to really pour our heart out in prayer. And Jesus needed to go and to pour his heart out into prayer. Not only was he there praying, but he was fasting as well, too. You remember how long he stayed in the wilderness? Forty days. No food. No potluck. No pots. Forty days. So we're talking about a very serious alone time with God. What was he praying about in this quietness of the area? Well, that's where the book Desire of Ages kind of gives us a clue. It says on page 114, when Jesus was led into the wilderness, who led him there? The Holy Spirit, okay. He was led there to be tempted. Boy, we don't like that. He was led by the Spirit of God. He did not invite temptation. He didn't stand there and say, come on, Satan, bring it on. No, he went to the wilderness to be alone to contemplate his mission and work. To begin to, to make the plans of what's to take place. To be able to establish with his Holy Father, this is the direction I want you to go. It's, it's, it's beginning to see what the will of his Father was. So here he is in the wilderness. Now, Jesus didn't enter the wilderness to pray five minutes each day for the next 40 days. He spent hours in prayer. The Desire of Ages gives us another clue as to the intensity of his time on page 118. When Jesus entered the wilderness, he was shut in by the Father's glory, surrounded by the glory of his Father, Absorbed in communion with God, he was lifted above human weakness. Wow. Absorbed by the communion with his Father. This, this deep oneness together. Do you know that we could have that same oneness ourselves? God desires, remember Jesus says that his prayer was that, that we would become one with the Father like he is one with the Father. It, so it is possible for that oneness to take place. And sometimes we have to get away and, and actually make ourselves get to a point to be able to have this close connection. And he was enveloped with this glory of his Father. It lifted his thoughts way above whatever human weakness Jesus inherited when he took on humanity. I don't know about you, but at times I need that as well, too. We often call this that wilderness experience. And we already looked for a moment at Jacob. He had that wilderness experience where he had to actually wrestle with the Lord. Here's another wilderness experience found in Exodus 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Moses, in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning. We know that story. Moses fled from the royal courts of the Egyptian pharaoh and dwelt in the wilderness, tending sheep. 
While there, he had years to think and to pray. It was while he was in this wilderness that this great miracle happened. Sometimes in our wilderness experiences, uh, miracles will take place. He encountered this burning bush that was not being consumed or burnt up by that fire. This wilderness ex experience can be a time when God can speak directly to us and miracles can take place. Well, the children of Israel were led by God into the wilderness for years, 40 years. And why were they there? It was trying, God trying to help them to learn not only more about Him, and to be able to communicate with Him, but to begin to build their trust. Look what I've done. Look how I've delivered you and have brought you this far. Please trust me. Relate to me. Sometimes we're like the children of Israel, and as He's leading us, we, we get kind of stubborn at times. We want to do things our way without any trust or faith. We like to tell God what to do. Instead of waiting to listen to see what God is willing to do. Communion with God was taking place with Jesus out in the wilderness. But there was another figure lurking around at the same time. Oh yeah, he was surrounded by the glory of God. But look what it says in Luke 4, verse 2. Being tempted for 40 days by whom? Oh, the old devil's always there. He just doesn't want you to have that experience with God. And in those days, he, Jesus, ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Try going 40 days without eating and see how loud your stomach growls. No matter where you go, the devil is always lurking. While Jesus was being absorbed by the presence of his heavenly Father, and with his mind being lifted up above the presence of the devil, pretty soon something happens. We've experienced this before. We all have. Desire of Ages, page 118. But the glory, that's the glory of the Lord, departed. And he, Jesus, was left to battle with from whom? From the devil. Have you ever had an experience where you've, where you've just drawn close to the Lord and, and you're on a spiritual high and then before you know it, it just seems like that spiritual closeness is gone and boom, the devil attacks. That's what was happening with Jesus. When Jesus was at his weakest moment because he was without food, the glory of God left him all alone to face the devil. Believe it or not, that was a part of the plan of God. Remember, he was being led by whom? The Holy Spirit to go out in the wilderness and the devil was there. But it's part of the plan of God. Why? Jesus had to be tempted and to overcome temptation by faith, which is where Adam and Eve had failed to do what they had failed to do in the Garden of Eden. He didn't use divine power to defeat the devil. He had to use faith, which is what we have to use. 
Desire of Ages, page 118. There came to the Savior, as if in answer to his prayers, one in the guise of an angel, in the disguise of an angel from heaven. He claimed to have a commission from God to declare that Christ's fast was at an end. How did Satan try to, to tempt Jesus? Remember, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He had been communing with his God, and then the glory of God left. And so Satan says, now's my moment. Now's the time. So in the midst of the physical and mental weakness, Satan loves to come in disguise of one sent by God. Not as the devil, but as one sent by God. And so he came to Jesus as an angel. It sounded like good news. It sounded like God is sending to him an angel that's saying, The fast is over. And then this angel said to him, Luke 4, verse 3, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. That wasn't impossible. Jesus, the one who created the world, all he had to do was speak to these rocks that were laying around, and there was plenty of them out in the wilderness. All he had to do was speak and it would turn into delicious bread, probably even hot. You could just smell. Remember how you feel when you smell home-baked bread? And then the hunger pains would be over. And it came from an angel. It must be from God. And when you're weak and in great need, and you want an answer to your prayer, you want something to take over, that's when you're willing to grasp at just about anything. But there was something in those words that wasn't quite right. If you are the Son of God. Are you really the Son of God? An angel would have known he was the Son of God. He would have known the plan. He would have been sent by the Father. But here's an angel who says, Are you really the Son of God? And within those words is an element of doubt, just like was in the words the serpent said to Eve, Oh, you'll surely not die if you eat of the fruit, even though God said you would. Jesus came to this world to overcome the evil one. And so he heard these words, if you are, and he knew immediately. This is not coming from my heavenly Father. This is not the answer to my problem. And so he had to reach out by faith. Oh, he, the temptation would have been able to have said, well, here's the reason why I am the Son of God, and listed all the reasons. But he didn't have to explain that to Satan. Luke 4, verse 4 says, Jesus answered him, saying, what? It is written. That's not the television broadcast. It hadn't started back then. It is written, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He used Scripture 
to put Satan in his place. The same way we are to put Satan in his place when we are tempted by saying, it is written. There is no greater power than the words that come directly from Scripture. But Jesus had to know the words and to believe them. He wasn't carrying around with him a scroll written down the scripture that was with him to pull it out and says, Now, I know it's here someplace. Just a moment, please. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Let's roll it out a little more. I know it's here somewhere. I've seen it someplace. No, Jesus was quick to quote scripture. Remember, we have to do the same. Three times Satan tries to tempt Say, uh, to tempt Jesus. And three times Jesus uses Scripture to, to defeat the devil. Remember that. Now, there's been a lot of years has passed since then. Satan's defeat, defeat was over 2,000 years ago. So he's had time to sit around and to think about that. He thought he had the perfect plan set in motion, and he was fooled. And he was defeated by Scripture. He had to stew over this defeat. He wasn't happy about that. And since that time, Jesus is now in heaven so he's got to direct a new attack on a new target. Mark 13, verse 22. Jesus is saying at the end of time, that's the time we're living in right now, there's going to arise false Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, whom? That's you. Oh, he'll never fool me. I'm a, seventh, I'm a fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist. So, says the very elect. I go to church each week. So, that's who he's targeting. I teach Sabbath school. Yeah. So, he's out to destroy us. He, if he couldn't destroy the creator of the universe out in the wilderness, and he's had 2,000 years to think about it, and he wants to destroy us, he's not going to come as a devil again, and he's going to be very careful with his words, isn't he? He's going to try to make it like he did back then. He's got a, a start. He's got an idea. He says, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it kind of like what I did back then. I'm going to, to use where it looks like you're following God, that this is the will of God, but in reality, you're opening yourself to me, the devil. That's what he tried to do back then, didn't he? Okay. But how did Jesus overcome that? Scripture. It is written. Okay. So I've got to do it in such a way, Satan is saying, that you won't say, it is written. But you think that you're doing the will of God. And you're the very elect. And it's going to be an experience.
experience. I'm not going to let words trip me up this time. I'm going to make sure that when this happens again, when it comes to God's very elect, I'm going to do it in such a way that you think that you are experiencing a closeness of God in such a way that you, in your mind, saying, I am doing the will of God, period, and no one else can tell me anything different. That's what he's going to try to do. He tried to trick Adam and Eve, and he got them to fall, so he's saying, you know, I've got targets here, and I know they've had Scripture to read, and they go to church and everything else, but Adam and Eve were perfect, and they had walked with God. We've never had that experience of being that close with God before. But I'm going to try to make sure that I make it in such a way that they will be shocked when they find out they're opening their minds to me. God's Amazing Grace, page 257. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host does what? Can you imagine he shakes in his boot at fervent prayer? Does he know that? Jerry knows that. So I've got to do something now to stop you from using Scripture, but I've got to do something with prayer because you already know that fervent prayer is going to make me, the devil, shake in my boots. So I've got to do something, but it's got to come in the area of prayer. So you think, oh, I'm doing the will of God. Man, I'm having a prayer experience like you wouldn't believe in your lifetime. And yet you're opening up your mind to the devil himself. Oh, he's got a scheme, let me tell you. He's got a scheme. And once he can make us think that we are praying to God, but in reality... We're actually stepping into his territory. He says, I got you. And you can't use scripture because I'm going to make it so you can't. But you still think you're doing the will of God. And you think that it's the Holy Spirit that's leading you. Second Corinthians 11 verse 14. For Satan himself transforms himself into what? Angel of light. Remember what, how he came to Jesus in the wilderness? He was an angel of light. Not as the devil, but as the angel of light. Came directly from heaven, come down, message directly for him to be able to tell him how to be able to break this starving fast that he's through. This morning I'm going to reveal to you Satan's plan that he is introduced in a type of prayer that's being taught by spiritual leaders all over the world. Not only in the Adventist church, but in other denominations as well. And people are think they're doing the will of God. Do you see why I'm wrestling? I'm not against prayer. Because fervent prayer, true prayer, makes the devil shake. But he's going to use that and change it around a bit to where you think that it's going to be fervent prayer, but in reality, 
you are going against God. This prayer has a name, many names. Centering prayer, probably have heard it, some of you. Contemplative prayer, some of you probably have heard of that. Within our own denomination, it's sometimes called God encounters. You'll see it in some of our churches that are reaching out to the youth to try to get them interested in God, and they call it God encounters. It's powerful. But it's all the same idea of prayer that changes people. You're first taught, you have to be taught this. You're first taught a form of meditation that's called the silence. Okay? This is the quiet wilderness like Jesus was led to, except this wilderness is in your mind. That sounds like a safe place. You are instructed that at any time, any place, you can close your eyes and block out all mental activity. Block out all your problems. Block out things that are happening at work. Things about the family. Blocks out everything. Everything that you've ever had that has seemed to have restricted you, you block it out. Doctrines, block it out. Bible scripture, block it out. Spirit of prophecy quotes, block it out. Everything. Empty your mind of all thoughts surrounding sounds and teachings. That's when you come now to your quiet wilderness place for the purpose of communing with God. At first, all you see is darkness. But as the techniques are practiced and taught to you, you begin to begin to open up more and more where the darkness gives away to just a little flicker of light inside your mind. And it becomes exciting. And as you learn to clear your mind and concentrate even more, that flicker of light turns into a concentrated beam of an inner light within your mind. And as you focus on the beam of light, you begin to hear a voice. The voice is supposed to be the voice of Jesus who has come now into your mind to dwell and guide you through life. Sounds good, doesn't it? Your body reacts to these words and you begin to feel the presence of love. Didn't Apostle Paul say of all the fruit, the greatest of these is love? You know, you feel the direct presence of a heavenly being like you've never experienced in your entire life. And it's inside you. You have now become the temple, you think, the temple of Jesus. You could even use scripture and say, well, didn't Jesus say that I was to be a temple of the living God? 
Here's what happens, though, when you get to this point. You begin to say, if Jesus is in my mind, I no longer need a high priest in heaven. I have the Creator who has taken up residency in my mind to direct me. I don't need to study Scripture because Jesus, the living Word, is speaking and interpreting the Scriptures and how I should follow it directly to me in my mind. The emphasis now has shifted from dependent upon fervent prayer to an intellectual stimulation of emotions. Now I love everybody I see. And it doesn't make any place, wherever I am at any point, I can control the time and the place where I want to have this experience where God is speaking directly to me and guiding me so I can block everything out and I can have this experience even in the midst of rush hour traffic. I can have it in work when things are going so wrong. I can have it and experience this, this emotionally stimulating experience where God is speaking to me and I've blocked out everything. Boy, it just sounds great. I have the Creator within my hand. I can control him. Whoa, brothers and sisters. We're not here to control the creator. He is to control us. It's to be his will, not my will. But when I begin to say, oh, I can do it this time, and I can listen to him, and I can turn him on and off whenever I want him, i got problems. Because of this love you experience internally, it opens your eyes to see others through the lenses of love. It sounds great. You have great compassion for them, which means you desire to relax the restrictions of Christian doctrines to absorb and to put your arms around and hold on to everybody because we're all going to the same place no matter what you believe. I don't have to have the restrictions anymore now. I can relax the restrictions now, especially concerning the Sabbath. It's not a major issue. Because I'm making room for people of all beliefs to be able to come and to worship together because we all have this concept of love. Remember, this is being taught in other denominations. So we have something in common, and we could come together and worship together. So why should I run them off by putting all these restrictions of doctrines down? In this state of mind, there are no three angels' message because all religions are bound together by this love. There's no warning message that needs to go out to the world to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. Are you beginning to see a picture? And you know what? We think this is a new element that's coming into the Christian church, 
but it's nothing new. Because this blocking off of everything and blocking off your mind and beginning to see this light that begins to appear and to grow and to have God speak to you actually is mysticism that has been practiced by non-Christian religions for a long time. In fact, that's where it comes from. That's why in this belief that we can all say we're going to the same God together because these people here believe the same thing. They're talking to the same God in their minds. So are these people. So all religions, Christian and non-Christian, can combine together and work together. We just have to kind of release these restrictions that are going around because they just kind of hinder things a bit. Oh, by the way, when you begin to take your mind and begin to uh, block everything out, you know what this is? Self-hypnosis. You're being hypnotized into thinking you are doing the will of God's because I'm having an experience, a love I have never felt before. This has got to be coming from God. But it's the devil trying to enter and control our minds. Now, I'm not against prayer. But I'm against this type of prayer. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 293 and 294. The experience of the past will be repeated, like what Jesus went through. In the future, Satan's superstitions will assume new forms. Errors will be presented in a pleasing and flattering manner. False theories clothed with the garments of light will be presented to God's people. Thus, Satan will try to deceive, if possible, the very elect. Most seducing influences will be exerted. Minds will be hypnotized. And it's happening right now. Medical Ministry, page 111. For thousands of years, Satan has been experimenting upon the properties of the human mind, and he has learned to know it well. By his subtle workings in these last days, he is linking the human mind with his own, imbuing it with his thoughts, and he is doing this work in so deceptive a manner that those who accept his guidance know not that they are being led by him at his will. The great deceiver hopes so to, so to confuse the minds of men and women that none but his voice will be heard in their mind. This type of prayer, which really isn't a prayer, but a tool of hypnotism, opens the minds to be controlled by the devil while thinking they're really being spiritually led by God. How do you counteract this being lured into Satan's territory? 
the exact same way that Jesus did in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil, when the devil came down as an angel. It is written. You see, if you've got God's thinking, you've got God speaking in your mind, and you're going to relax all these things he's going to interpret, you've got to do away with it as written. Not the TV program, but the words. If he's telling you what to do in your mind, and you're to relax the, the, the doctrines of the church and everything else, and that Jesus is in you, you are the temple, and is he, if he is in you that he can't be, in the heavenly courts in heaven, going through the judgment. So you got to do away with the investigative judgments. you got to do away with the sanctuary in heaven. you got to do away with the most holy place. Do you see what's happening? And if you do away with that and you loosen the restrictions and everything, you got to do away then with all the restrictions on the Sabbath so it becomes another day. So it doesn't make any difference when you come and worship. You can worship any day you want to. And if you do all these things, man, you've got to throw out the spirit of prophecy because it is telling just exactly the opposite of what your brain is telling you to do. What have you got left? Nothing. Except being controlled by the devil itself. Oh, come on now, Pastor. Is this type of prayer a reality within our denomination? Oh, boy. It's been in for a long time. The first time I encountered it was over 30 years ago. In one of our hospitals where I was taking chaplain's training. Now, I will state at that particular time, it came from a chaplain that was of a, of a different denomination, but... They didn't say that he couldn't practice this within our hospital, okay? One of my fellow workers was having a problem with bronchitis. You ever had that problem? And he just coughed and coughed and coughed and coughed. Could not start to talk, he coughs. Start to breathe, he cough. Just all day long, cough, 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 cough. So this chaplain, another denomination, says... You know, I think I can help you if you're willing to just take a little bit of time and to sit down with me, and uh, I think we could work this out. So the guy sat down. I was right there in the room, sat down on a chair, and his chaplain says, now close your eyes and block everything out of your, out of your mind, problems, worries, everything. Just totally go blank. And he says, put your hands on your, on your legs. And he put them down there. And he says, now I'm going to talk to your cough. And if the answer is going to be yes and no, if the answer is yes, you lift up your right index finger. If the answer is no, you lift up your left index finger. And so the guy then starts saying, addressing the cough and asking him, is there a medical reason why you are inflicting your cough on this man. And he raised up his left finger. No, there's no medical condition. 
Is there something that could be done to be able to help him to get over this cough? And his right index finger goes up. He goes through a series of questions, and I'm seeing him raise his finger one or the other, one or the other. This guy's talking to his cough, and the cough is answering. And I asked the guy when he was out, I said, do you know? He says, I I knew, I heard him asking the question. It wasn't like, he says, it wasn't like I was so hypnotized that I didn't know what was taking place. But he says, all of a sudden, my finger would just go up. Well, if if the devil can do that with fingers going up, why can't he do it with us thinking that it is the Lord speaking within our minds? Brothers and sisters, it's important to be able to go back to the basics of it is written, which is the word, which is the power of God that changes lives and is the thing that causes the devil to be able to retreat. He ran away from from Jesus out in the wilderness because Jesus kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. We've got to know Scripture. We not only have to know Scripture, but when we link Scripture with fervent prayer, not fervent prayer, not a prayer that blocks out and says you don't have to do the Scripture, you don't have to learn it anymore, I'll tell you what it says. But when I link Scripture with fervent prayer, the devil trembles. Now you remember what form Satan took upon himself to be able to come to Jesus in the wilderness? An angel. Next week we're going to talk about the angel of light. But in the meantime... What we're going to do is sing the same hymn that Aaron sang. We won't have the orchestra behind us. But I think it's a good hymn because I've got to put my trust not only in God in sharing with what he's doing, but I've got to put my trust in his holy word, which is the Bible. If it is said this way in the Bible, there's a reason for it. If God said it, I've got to believe it, not in my brain, but in the Holy Scriptures. Let's turn to our hymnals, to hymn number 279.
Father that the experience that Jesus had in the wilderness is to be able to help to protect us of what the devil's trying to do right now. We have to trust not only in Jesus but into his holy word because he was the word that became flesh. He's the power. The devil has power as well too, but it's the power of your holy word where it says it is written that is going to defeat the devil within our lives to help us to realize of who we're really following. We just pray, Lord, that you will teach us through that Holy Scripture, and that we will be willing as a New Year's resolution to take time to read your Holy Word starting now and continuing through until we're safely in the heavenly kingdom. We just want to thank you for that Word in Jesus' name. Amen.